We're back with the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week, we're discussing The Laws of Gods and Men, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Alex Sakharov. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Sound On Sight's Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzig, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Ricky D, editor-in-chief of Sound On Sight. Hey, Ricky, how's it going? Hello, Kate. Hello, listeners. It's a big episode this week, and so we're very excited to welcome on our games editor from Sound On Sight, Mike Warby. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Now, what we always say at the top of the show, just, just you know, what I remember, that is, just to, to quell any fears, there will be no spoilers on this podcast, we're not going to talk about things that are yet to come in the books. We're not going to talk about anything that's yet to come on the TV show. It is only up until this point in the TV show and up until this point in the books. So if, if it's happened in the books and it's happened on the show, we may talk about it. If it has happened on the show but not the books, we will probably talk about it. And if it has happened, it has not happened on the show, but it's in the books, we won't talk about it. Is that clear enough or confusing enough for everybody? Sounds good. Uh, I've read the books. Uh, Ricky has not. Mike, what's your relationship with the the, the books of, of Game of Thrones? I have I have read the uh, first book, and um, I've watched a lot of um, Comic Book Girl 19's uh, commentary on YouTube. She kind of goes into it's sort of a guide for people who are only watching the show, but it fills in some background details for the books up to where we're at, that kind of thing. Very cool. So, so you're you're kind of familiar. Yeah, I know a lot of background about characters that maybe haven't been introduced in the show and things like that. But otherwise, I'm as pure as anyone else. Hey, hey Mike, can you um, can you once again plug the YouTube channel you're talking about? Oh, it's called uh, Comic Book Girl 19. Okay. She does um, something – she does these house series. Like, she did a couple backgrounds on, like, you know, here's what happened in the Targaryens past, the Baratheons, uh, Starks, and what's the other – Lannisters, the other main family. Okay. And she just kind of, kind of does these series about them where she she won't tell you anything that hasn't happened yet, but she'll give you some background on, like, for example, uh, Cersei's motivations and why she hates Marjorie so much, things like that, you know, that haven't really been discovered in the show or discussed, but aren't really spoilers per se. Very cool. Very good to know, because I know that is something that's a need that's out there for for some of the TV watchers, or at least oh, absolutely they're interested in. So it's it, whenever we hear about useful and and well made uh, things like that, tools for for listeners, we like to to try to plug those. So great, I'll have to check that out after after we're done recording. You know, I think it was like last week or two weeks ago. I was talking about how HBO needs a show, sort of like Talking Dead, but not like Talking Dead, where they actually give us proper information about the series as, as opposed to just it feeling like a promotional tool you know what i mean mm-hmm. like informative instead of promotional i think hbo can really benefit by putting like it doesn't have to be an hour long but just like a half an hour long program right before each and every single episode oh they would easily sell it too because um game of thrones is literally their their highest performing show ever so i saw an article recently so with that said hbo you can always give us a call we're more than willing <laughs> yeah I'm in. <laughs> you won't even have to pay us. 
Oh, uh, and, and before we, yeah, yes, that's all very nice, but we're now at least five minutes into this podcast, and we haven't talked about this wonderful, I'm just going <laughs> to speak for the group here and say it was a really good episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, am I accurate in my assessment? Mike, what did you think? Ricky, what did you think? I was on the edge of my seat for the last probably 15, 20 minutes. Easy. Um, yeah, I didn't like this episode, guys. Girls. Really? Listeners. Well, each his own. It's always good to have a contrary opinion. I'm completely lying. Yeah, he's full of it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he does I that. Maybe it was a devil's advocate thing maybe you were going for there. This is like the best episode of the season. One of the three best episodes of the series. Probably my second favorite. It has the best scene so far, hands down. Okay, best or favorite or both, Ricky? I think... I think the final scene in the courtroom with Tyrion is the best directed, acted, and written scene of Game of Thrones so far in the series. And therefore, it's also my favorite. Okay. That's interesting. I, I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's very well done. I wouldn't go that far. But I do I do think that it's, you know, it's a very powerful moment, certainly. And, uh, you know, when you have Peter Dinklage... And you have a g good writing and good direction. You're gonna get you're gonna get some some great material, and certainly this episode does. Before we center focus in on the 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 trial and that that culminating moment, I, I figure let's take the same sort of format or structure for this podcast as the episode does. It's very similar as other others have noted to this to the structure of the uh, Purple Wedding episode the lion and the rose where the first half of the episode kind of jumps back and forth between a, a couple stories and then the second half of the episode is completely centered on this climactic uh build and moment uh so, so first let's let's get the the other part of the world uh i guess out of the way but that that seems, feels overly dismissive because i did like what we got with the rest of our characters this week what did you guys think of uh stannis and and the iron bank I thought it was great to see Stannis again. I thought like he uh, he got so much um so much space in season 2 and especially season 3 and it's like where has this guy been like over the course of the season? One of the most common things I've been wondering is what's going on with Stannis. He was just such a big character in the previous uh season 2 and season 3 and I thought it was great to see him back again in such an important uh role. Ricky? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Stannis, but, you know, at least what we have of Stannis this week, I think, is relevant and important to the storyline moving forward. So I thought that was a fantastic scene, a great way to open up what is what I think the best episode of the season so far. I really like the production design and the art direction and the camera work and the it just seems like they increased the budget for this episode. I mean, just the shots of the warrior statues, the, the sprawling city of Bravos, just the whole entire look, like the actual Iron Bank. I think it's nice to finally check in on the Iron Bank. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Loved it. When you speak about the production values, I also have to compliment the the CG on Davos's hand. I thought that was really, really well done. They don't try to, shot, you know, kind of tiptoe around it. They just, he pulls off his glove there's my this nice stub of a hand uh and mm -hmm. that, that was really effective it was an excellent bit of performance from uh liam cunningham i want to say yes yeah yeah that's correct yeah that's right you know it's interesting that you bring that up because there's a lot of characters that are in the spotlight this week that are somehow disfigured and they really do focus on these characters i mean you think of theon and you know what happened to theon being tortured and being castrated last season 
Um, you think of his hand and so on and so forth. And it was interesting because I noticed that too. Um, but it's just the overall production values of this episode were incredible. Even the score, Kate, I mean, you're a music expert. This is one episode where the score really stood out, but in the best way possible. I was, especially in that scene uh, involving uh, Theon Greyjoy, or, or I should call him Reek now, I guess, uh, and the whole uh, <laughs> attempt to rescue him. Um, the music in that sequence was just fantastic. It really enhanced the editing and the pacing and built the suspense of that entire sequence. Oh, man, and Ramsey, Ramsey coming out covered in blood, and he's just charging in there. That was intense. I had, I actually had the feeling somebody was going down in that scene. Well, and, uh, the, yeah, the the edit, like you said, the editing and pacing of that, and, and also the performance from, from Reek. I mean, or, and we really get to see. I mean, and, and this is the first time I've, the the, the shaving sequence, the other, uh, the last time we saw that, that these group of characters was effective and I thought it was good, but I really see in this performance the 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 space between Theon and Reek, and uh, I thought I thought it was an important scene for us to have. I you know Yara making the effort to go to to save her brother I think was an important character beat for mm -hmm. her, and then also just seeing without a question Theon is gone at least right now Theon is no longer there. It was an important point. That's pretty wild to consider. You know, we don't yeah, we wild. don't often enough give credit to the actors. When we've mentioned Peter Dinklage and Charles Dance, and, you know, there's a few actors that we kind of highlight each and every single week, but Alfie Allen, I mean, we really got to give him credit because he's basically playing two characters in the series, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, if you think about it. And his, his performance is fantastic. I totally agree. Uh, the thing about the scene, I mean, if I really want to nitpick, is it doesn't really make sense or... I felt it was kind of rushed because we get the scene where Ramsey basically stands up and he he faces them and then he unlocks the um the the the, the cage so he lets out the dogs and all of a sudden we cut and then Yara and her men are outside escaping but it was just it just felt kind of rushed I'm like are they really that frightened of the dogs and shouldn't the dogs still be chasing them it was just kind of weird um, I agree. Only... I totally agree. Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's I, I disagree. Actually, let's get it, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, well, well sorry if I could just finish. Go, so, go for it. Yeah. So my nitpick is, and it's a nitpick, is I felt like there was a lot more footage that they had in the cutting room floor. You know, that was sorry, that was left in the cutting room floor, like as if like they realized, oh, okay, well our episode has to be fifty five minutes, so we're gonna have to like we're gonna have to remove a few minutes here and there. So you you're you get Ramsey standing up to them. He lets out the dogs and all of a sudden we cut in there on the outside. It just felt like there was something missing in between. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I, I yeah, I felt like um you know, it's like, yeah, here's this huge climactic scene. And like I said, I actually had this feeling that somebody was going down because you have Yara on one side and her people, and then you have Ramsey on the other side, and it's like one of these two has to go down and then Ramsey ups the game, opening the dog gate. And then it's just like, okay, now we're outside and we don't really know what happened. She left obviously, but you know, we don't know what kind of casualties she suffered or how did she get out so quickly? Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's tough. I was fine with it actually, because I thought they did a good job of, of establishing them being fairly equally matched at that point. They were sort of at a stalemate uh, with a potential slight upper hand to Yara, 
but then when you throw dogs into the mix, and this is something that I, I always appreciate when show, like, shows like Justified always are respectful of of dogs. Uh, like when when you see the marshals deal, having to deal with big, scary dogs, they respond much faster when they have to deal with, air quotes, big, scary people. Um, and and <laughs> so, so having, uh, I think this was another great example of that. They were close to Tide. Uh, with a potential slight edge to Yara, but when you throw dogs into the mix, that's that's too much. They cannot win, and she knows it, and Ramsey knows it, and that's why they hightail it out of there. So I was I was fine with it, and and it Fair sounds enough. like Ramsey's also not interested in in chasing them down because the dogs don't follow because they don't follow. He's happy to let them go. But then yeah. again, I may just be reading into it. I, I think my problem is that Yara goes in to rescue Theon. She realizes that he's kind of past the point of rescue. Okay, fine. So she decides to retreat. But I just feel like based on the character that I I think I know, I think that she would have still wanted some sort of revenge. And or if Ramsey's the one, the one last man standing, her and her man would have attempted to at least kill him. I don't know. It just it just didn't really make sense. Um I guess I just didn't like the fact that one of these uh, female characters who I thought was a great warrior and a great leader just retreats because she sees dogs. You know, what's, what, what's really interesting to consider about Yara, actually, is that we haven't seen her in a long time. And it's interesting to consider how how much Game of Thrones actually puts um, trust into the viewers in that sense, where they're willing to put these huge... Like, we haven't seen Yara in six episodes this whole season plus the whole year since the previous season. And they did the same thing with um, Barristan Selmy, where he was dismissed at the end of season one, and then he didn't show up until the end of season three. And that's pretty interesting to think about. Most shows wouldn't be willing to put that kind of gap in between seeing these central important characters. The thing is, I think the scene is somewhat pointless, but I think they needed to put it in because what they were really trying to do is they were trying to get the scene with Ramsey and Reek and where Ramsey convinces Reek that he needs to go undercover as Theon Greyjoy. And you, you see him continue his mind games and his torture on Theon slash Reek because that's going to lead to something in the future. That's about setting up whatever's coming. But the actual raid, if you think about it, you can take it out and it wouldn't change anything in the overall story arc of the season, if that makes any sense. But yeah, and I think we needed to check in on her too. In terms of the season, I would agree with you. But yeah, we yeah we definitely needed to come back to her because that was the cutoff point for the entire Greyjoy storyline. Basically, at the end of season three, here's what's going on. She's getting on the ship. She's going after her brother. And yeah, we definitely needed to come back to that. Well, and especially because they're going to want to, if they want to go back to Theon or Reek at this point, if they want to continue with where what where that story's headed. Uh, then they need to answer the lingering question of why has no one come to rescue him mm -hmm. at this point? And so that's taken that that's moved out of the way. We'll get to see uh, we'll get to see more with Reek. It seems clear based on this episode. We may get more with Yara now that that she. I don't know if whether we will follow her. Of course, the books do. The book you know it's a different named character, but the the books follow a lot more with what's going on in the Iron Islands, but much like the books also follow a hell of a lot more that's going on in Dorne, there's only so many hours in a season and in a show, so we haven't seen, really seen Dorne yet, and, and I'm not surprised that we haven't seen the Iron Islands very much recently. Um, and, and so whether or not we continue to follow Yara 
remains to be seen. But I, th I think this is an important way to 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 move both of these storylines forward if they want to explore it, and also to just inject a little bit of action in an episode that has a lot of of uh, verbal sparring or emotional depth. Uh, but not a lot of just physical action. So it's it's a nice little energy boost as well. Mm -hmm. I also like the fact that the Iron Bank of Bravos is all about facts and about numbers, like not about stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like all of these stories about whoever did what to who. Like it doesn't matter. It's all about what's in the books and the numbers. And I just like how they're so about business and so professional. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, don't sell me, don't sell me on your story. You know, tell, give me, give me something I can go with here. Well, yeah. I do have a nitpick about the Iron Bank, though. Uh, I'm curious if, if you guys noticed or were you know, bothered by this at all. Uh, I like Mark Gaddis. I appreciate mm -hmm. him as an actor, and it's just sort of fun that, of course, he's he's Mycroft on Sherlock. So, the, of course, Mycroft is in with the Iron Bank. You know, like the the casting of him in that <laughs> role is fun for me, but. Why are they white? <laughs> There's like already every pretty much everybody in Westeros is white. Uh, we have some some diversity in other parts of the world, and theoretically, we're supposed to. In in, in Bravos, every other Bravosi person we've met has been other than white, and it's been very nice and refreshing. Uh, so mm -hmm. then we meet this really important institution in bravos it's you know it's it's renowned it's very important it has a lot of power and who are those people in power two white guys <laughs> <laughs> that never even occurred to me but yeah i can see where you're i can see where you're going with that there was a lot of really great stuff in that scene though uh book fans will will appreciate certain elements there um and i don't want to say any any more than that uh just just there are, mo there are elements in that scene that I think work really well. I really appreciate uh, Davos uh, kind of leading the, the viewer along, uh, kind of by the hand, uh, saying why, what, you know, why Stannis' claim is still legitimate and important and significant, why Stannis hasn't just given up at this point, uh, and, and, of course, bringing in these other elements uh, that may come into play, depending on which storylines they go with and which storylines they cut. Uh, whenever you have these further apart you know, areas of the world, you never know exactly what they're going to spend time on and what they won't. But if they want to explore more, there's a lot more they can, thanks to the scene. And I, I, I think that it, it on the whole worked really well. I just kind of wish, again, I wish they weren't two white guys. Uh, before we leave Bravos, I was very glad to see Salador San pop, pop back up. I'm a big fan of Lucien um, Matsumati. I really liked him on the number one ladies detective agency, a show that just about, I think there were three of us that watched that show. Uh, he was fabulous on that. It's always great to see him pop up here. Uh, were you guys happy to see Salvador San? What did you think of his uh, his fabulous pirate uh, pirate joke? Well, he's he's great. And yeah, going back to like what I was saying earlier, the last time we saw this guy was at the beginning of season two. So for him to just pop up out of nowhere is pretty crazy. Like they put that kind of trust with the viewers. But in any case, yeah, he's a great character. He's very colorful, very roguish. And he's got, he kind of brings some fun to the show, which in a very, in such a dour show, it's good to have characters like that every once in a while. And he brings out the fun side of Davos. Davos is so, such a responsible figure. It's nice to have, like you said, that roguish element uh, brought out in Davos. And a reminder to the audience that but before he was this stalwart figure of righteousness and everything, he also, he was a... A smuggler and hanging out with people like his best friends were people like, like Salador San. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Any thoughts on uh, on Solid or Son, uh, Ricky, or shall we move on to uh, our other two non-Tyrian scenes? No, I think you got it covered. I think we should just quickly move on to Danny, I yeah, guess. Yeah, talk Danny. Um, again, nitpick, and I do realize that they have, oh, so much of a budget, but the CGI for the dragons, I know a lot of people are saying the CGI has improved, and I don't see it. Maybe it's because we're getting more of it or longer shots, but CGI and fire never looks good. And so the fire just looked terrible. I, I, maybe I have lower standards. I thought it looked good. I've never, I, it's not just Game of Thrones. It's pure, like, CGI period. When it comes to fire, I find it never looks good. I didn't notice to the point where it took me out of it anyway. Was it just the fire or, or was it the dragon as well? Like, were you good with the dragon until the flame? The dragon was okay. It was really just the flame. I don't know. I just, I Fire's think like, hard. Sorry? Fire is, is hard. I remember when uh, watching uh-huh. behind the scenes features for Lord of the Rings when they had to do the Balrog. It was a really significant struggle for them. And by the time they finished uh, Fellowship, they had, de- they had developed new technology to make better looking fire because fire is just really hard to CG. Yeah, I read an article once, and they were interviewing two or three of the top special effects guys working in Hollywood, and they said the two hardest things to do is water and fire. So yeah, I, I've definitely noticed the water. Like there, I've seen some really bad water effects before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but water. I mean, like just film it near a river or a lake or something. <laughs> True. Like, Fire, I get. I mean, you're not going to actually light up a sheep on fire. I guess you could. <laughs> PETA would have a huge, huge thing to say about it. But no, um, yeah. But anyhow, Danny, um, what do we want to say about Danny? It was an interesting scene. It was brief. It was short. She gets stuff to do. It. She gets stuff to do besides stand around. The titles for, for Daenerys are getting ridiculous. It's like I when um, Miss Saya was introducing her. It's like, get out the scroll and read the 35 titles we have for this person, you know? She's like a, she's like a WWE wrestler, like, <laughs> like Sean. Yeah, it's, it's almost absurd. It's like looking at the HTTP for a website, you know? Yeah. It's so, so much information to just be like, okay, we know who she is. but And now imagine... You have, you have, she's, they said after she has to do just 212 more times or something, they're going to have to do that every time somebody walks in there. Yeah, coming soon, she's going to be the highlight reel, the main event, the best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be, and so on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what this scene really d- did, um, besides uh, tease a very powerful moment to come, there's something in this episode with Danny that teases something very interesting and very powerful to come. I'm very glad to see that it looks like they're going to include it. We'll say no more than that. Uh, however, the what this scene does for me is underline and continue to, to tie Danny in with everything that's happening in Westeros because since the very beginning of the series, a, a very significant point that it has made is that conquering and ruling are very different things and to be a good conqueror is not necessarily to be a good ruler robert was an excellent conqueror way to go you kill you took over the country brought you know got rid of the mad king good on you but he did not know how to rule and his inability to rule kind of pretty much led to where everything is now and so to to watch danny have to deal with nuance and have to to talk with you know, the son of the one of the masters who she crucified who had spent you know who had worked his hardest to prevent the crucifixion of those children you know that, that I thought that was really interesting and he presents her with forces her to mature 
Uh, it's easy to forget that this is still somebody who's what, like 18, 19? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, because she actually is given a scene in where she has to argue with someone, like someone that actually sort of, to some degree, stands up and sort of expresses his views and his opinions, and she has to find the proper way to respond, and she's challenged, and it's nice to see her challenged. Um, I want to know if you can name the nobleman's name. I don't remember. I think The one who was killed? Uh, the one who tells her that she wrongfully crucified his dad. No, I can't. I can't recall his name. Yeah, because his name is ridiculous. If anyone writes reviews of Game of Thrones, they understand my frustration. His name is like <laughs> Hisdar Zolarak, right? And now you have to figure out how to spell it. <laughs> is that what Wikipedia is for? <laughs> a wiki I, of ice and fire? <laughs> you know why I avoid a Wikipedia? Because I was talking to, uh, I think it was Simon Howell, former co-host of the Game of Thrones podcast. Um, I think, yeah, it was Simon. He told me he was browsing through Wikipedia, and while doing so, he accidentally was spoiled on a big event, and I think it was actually at a red wedding. So mm. I me try too. to avoid yeah, Wikipedia. Because your, your eyes can just glance to the bottom of the page, and you don't want to read further down, but you can't help but see something, and all of a sudden it's, like, spoiled. So, yeah, I avoid Yeah, Wikipedia. I Googled. I was on the Wiki of Ice and Fire, and I actually um, got spoiled on Catelyn's death and the red wedding as well, and something that's going to come um, in terms of that. I won't say any more. But I was searching the character, his name escapes me, but he was the guy who, uh, Don Darian, I believe his name is. The guy who mm-hmm. who has the eye patch, he's been killed like six times. Mm-hmm. He was with those uh, Warriors Without Borders. I looked him up, and somehow it led into this thing where I'm suddenly just reading to the bottom because I was trying to get a little more information on the guy. And it's like, oh, okay, cool, Catelyn's going to die right away, awesome, you know? So it's very dangerous to Google this show. Well, my answer for you guys is go wait until, you know, just Google Game of Thrones episode list and go to the Game of Thrones Wikipedia page with the episode list and click on the episode you've already watched. That would be my solution. <laughs> but yes, it is a real it's a real concern. Uh, any other thoughts on on Danny besides the ridiculousness of the spellings and pronunciations of their names, the the people that she's dealing with there? I thought it was I thought it was great that um, Danny Danny hasn't really been faced with a real moral quandary in a long time. She hasn't been wrong. Yeah, that's what I mean. For the whole all of season three, the end of season two, she hasn't really had to face any real dilemmas like this. So it's interesting to throw that at her, where she's like, you know, I am the Emancipator. I'm here to free everyone, punish them, and it's like somebody comes in and, sh- and shows her that you know, even in this dire of circumstance things aren't as black as white and black and white as you think they are you know you can't just kill all of these people and expect that you are right 100 percent to do to do so and expect that nobody cares or, or and nobody yeah exactly. yeah exactly yeah i i i absolutely agree the last uh scene or character i want to mention before we go to to Tyrion and everything that happens there is I just I love the Viper, the the performance, and uh, he's just got so much swag. It was great watching the um, <laughs> the, the 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 small council, and uh, everybody else stands up except for him. He's like, oh, no, I'm good, I'm I'm good here." Uh, and I, I feel like that character they've really done a good job of having him sort of fill the little finger role on the small council, and just uh, in that you know in in King's Landing, just without the smarm 
I mean, he should be, he could be smarmy, but I feel like they've just kind of kept him cool instead. And uh, without just like the evil and the manipulation, he's very direct. He's very honest in a way that Littlefinger isn't. But but yet he still gets the, those scenes, you know, that scene with Varys, the, the scenes with uh, 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 Tywin. I've really enjoyed him in this episode, and I think they've done a great job with the character. One of the most memorable character additions I think the show's ever done. Um, smooth is the word I would use. Smooth. He's a, He's a very smooth guy. Yeah, well, it's also refreshing to have a character around, especially in King's Landing, like him, because, you know, like the Lannisters are the Lannisters, and I'm not saying that, you know, Tyrion's exactly like Jaime and so on and so forth, but uh, it's nice to have, like, an outsider in that setting, and he is so completely different, and you're right, he is direct and honest, and that's what I, what I like about him, um, so yeah. It's refreshing. Well, let's get to the main event then. Uh what did you guys think of the trial? Were you surprised? Were you uh, were you relieved or nervous or how did how did it play out for you? It's interesting because you know you we all remember what's happened you know in the past and we know that Tyrion, with his smart ass attitude, has made a lot of enemies, especially when he was King's Hand in season two. We know that he had, that he's made a lot of decisions that have outcast a lot of people. So to see them come forth one after the other at first, it wasn't that surprising. You got Cersei and Marin Trent and uh the uh the Maester who we put in jail. I I can't remember his name at the moment, but the Maester who we put in jail, and you know, he's made some enemies over time. But then you get uh Varys. Varys, who's always seemed like a very fair-minded character, and then finally Shay, where it's the ultimate betrayal, because we thought she left, and that even brings questions about Braun loyalty because Braun said he saw her get on the boat but you know well I guess we'll see where that's going with time but yeah it was very it just kept upping the ante as the scene went on yeah I feel like season one two and three each had a big ninth episode and I feel like the big episode so far is the sixth episode and if they can create an episode this season better than a sixth episode and holy shit that's going to be an incredible episode but to me the big <laughs> episode for season four is episode six it's uh yeah it's the highlight of this whole entire installment and i mean it's also the most heartbreaking episode to some degree of this season because just to see shay turn her back on Tyrion and also varus like i mean it just seems like he has very few allies right now or true friends or anyone that actually really cares deeply for him and that will fight for him and just to see him look over at, at Jamie and to see Jamie's expression also you, you could tell that Jamie really cares about Tyrion but he doesn't know what to do or how to help him and you know there's just there's just so many shocking betrayals and like I said the two big shocking betrayals comes first from Varys and later from Shay and uh I mean it's like Mike said, it's like we were told she was on the boat, but clearly she wasn't. So do we trust Braun? Like, who can Tyrion trust at this point? It seems like he can't trust anybody. And also what's heartbreaking about it is what he says at the very end of the trial is that he feels like he's he's on trial for, you know, being a dwarf. He's always been on trial his whole entire life. He's always felt judged because of his physical handicap. And, I mean, that's just heartbreaking. So that way... When he delivers his speech, I mean, you want to talk about performance. Like We talked about how Peter Dinklage is one of the best performers on the series. 
Um, and we see him each and every single week with his clever quips and he's got those funny lines and he knows how to quickly respond to someone and just kind of be like, you know, a jokester. And, but this episode really, really showed how much of a range he has as an actor. Like he really had to stretch it. And um, yeah, so that was just fantastic. When he says watching your vicious bastard die gave me more relief than, than a thousand lying horrors. Like that, that scene, I had to rewind and watch over and over and over. I'm guilty. Guilty? Is that what you want to hear? You admit you poisoned the king. No. Of that I'm innocent. I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. You're not on trial for being a dwarf. Oh, yes I am. I've been on trial for that my entire life. Have you nothing to say in your defense? Nothing but this. I did not do it. I did not kill Joffrey, but I wish that I had. Watching your vicious bastard die gave me more relief than a thousand lying whores. I wish I was the monster you think I am. I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you. It's a good line. It's a very truthful and uh, very, very well written and delivered line, certainly. Uh, what I'll say about Varys is that, he, I, for me, notably, he does not lie. And several of the other characters, at the very least, heavily shade what they say. Uh, I, I thought what Varys said was truthful and he he just didn't say by the way uh joffrey was a psychopath and i'm gonna now slander honestly but you know say negative things about the ruling family this will get me killed he didn't do that but i i, I don't think he said anything that wasn't true um and i think that that that's where i'll, I'll leave Varys for this week mm -hmm. i thought that the, his last line of unfortunately i never forget anything or i thought that was very well performed by conleth hill and uh what what we see next from Varys should be very interesting, uh, and I think the rapport between Oberyn that we see and Varys, as those are the two outsiders in this group of people. So to see them interact is interesting, and uh, what comes next for each of those characters, I would imagine, will be interesting. And uh, as as for Shay, this, and I've been saying it for a while, this is a different Shay than the books, and so. In, in the books, and it could be that I'm forgetting something, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, listeners, but, uh, and it could also just be because we get first-person point of view, so it could just be a different reading on the characters than what is maybe intended, but you you never get this sense in, in the books that there's this deep sort of love from Shay for Tyrion at all. I mean, she, she's far more, uh, she's uh, far more frivolous far more uh, consumed uh, with money and uh, far, you know, she spends a lot of her time complaining about, oh, you said you were going to set me up with a nice house and all the stuff like that. And, and she's far less concerned. She doesn't show very much concern for Sansa comparatively to the Shay in the, in the show and uh, for Tyrion as well. And so when she testifies in the books, it's very different than when she testifies in the show. It's still, it's still a, a blow, but it's nowhere near as powerful. And um, the mo her motivations in the book, I would be very surprised if they were the same. 
in the show. I'm not going to say what they are in case that's something that we have yet to see. But all I'll say about um, this is, and this is not for anything from the books. My guess is we're going to find out um, that I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if we found out that Shay had been blackmailed into testifying or if she had been threatened or the Shay in the, in the show is very different from the Shay in the books. Uh, and so I wouldn't leave this as as simple a betrayal as it appears. At least that's nope. my guess. You know what the problem with that is, though, is based on her performance and her facial expressions and just how she reacted while being on trial and questions, I did not see a character who seemed like she was upset or sad that she was, you know, accusing Tyrion of such horrible things, accusing him of killing the king. Like, I just didn't see the remorse. I, I felt like she was just being vengeful. And so... They're going to have to really play their cards right, and they are going to need some good writing, a really good scene, if they want to convince me that she was blackmailed or forced to do what she's... I mean, I'm sure to some degree she's forced to do it, but I think based on the actress's performance, it also feels like it's revenge. Like, she is getting back at him, and she's upset, you know, for kicking her out and calling her whore and so on and so forth. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be too much of a cliche here, but the the old saying about hell hath no fury like a woman scorned—that's absolutely what I was thinking during the scene. And you know, I'm not going to get into my own personal history, but I have dealt with in the past where um, I thought I thought I was fair with someone, and then they come back with that anger and that rage, and they're just they just want to hurt you the way that they've been hurt. And you know, I can I could see those parallels, and it's. It's interesting because, again, we haven't seen her in a while. And then we she just comes back raging and roaring like that and just crushes him. Yeah, well, I mean, I see what you guys are saying. And it could be that. It really could be that. Um, we we don't know that she didn't get on the boat, I'll also say. If, especially if she's happy to testify. She may have, you know, they may have found her. I don't think it's beyond their skills to find Shay. If they know where to look and when uh, she, wherever she got off the boat, but um, I guess she's been shown to be a talented actor. The character when need when when it's needed. Yeah, that's true. So I guess that's and because she doesn't, she doesn't look at him at Tyrion. In that yeah, she scene. she do, she does at one point. She's she a, looked... yeah, but for most of her testimony, she doesn't. But at one point, she looks at it, and that's what she says. After all, I'm just a whore. And just her voice, like the tone of her voice, and again, the delivery of the actress, I just did not see any kind of remorse or sadness. I just saw a woman who wanted to take revenge. And if she did get on the boat, and they did you know, try to find her, how did they find her so quick? Like, how much time has gone by? I don't know. It could, it, I mean, Tyrion's been in the prisons for a while. Exactly how long. I, I, yeah, I so that's, no not, that's never really made clear on the show. Um, I'm sure it's more clear in the books, but as far as the show goes, we don't really know how much time has passed in any given scenario unless a character actually tells us, mm -hmm. and nobody has. Yeah. Also, we should also just quickly talk about Jamie. Um, you know, you want to talk about heartbreak. I mean, the fact that he has to make the deal, uh, which isn't much of a deal. It's sort of like he gives Tyrion the Ned Stark special, <laughs> which is, you know, and it didn't work out too well for Ned Stark, as Tyrion points out in this episode. Um, so, I mean, that and along with Shay uh, brought out to confess or, or to testify against Tyrion was just enough to send them over the edge. And he didn't really have a great option. I mean, he had an option to go 
to um, to the Night Watch. But, I mean, it's not really an option for a guy like Tyrion based on the lifestyle that he's lived his whole entire life. I can't imagine Tyrion being happy and or surviving the Night Watch. So there wasn't really much of a good option for him, but there was an option. But with that said, I mean, Shay just basically broke him. And that just set him, you know, over the edge. And, and uh, but yeah, it's nice to see that Jamie would sacrifice, um, you know, his own life, like his own future. I mean, that's not something he wants. And he was willing to do it in order to save, in order to save Tyrion's life. So, again, it's just like, this is a character who we've grown to like over time. And, you know, like a few weeks ago, there was that big controversial scene and we weren't sure how we felt about it. And here we are like two or three episodes later and they are giving us the, the Jamie Lannister who does have a heart, who does care about people like the Jamie Lannister who we do care about. So it just basically reinforces the fact that we should all forget about that scene. Yeah. This is the pretend that scene didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, take two take three uh well, yeah it really seems like it seems like um from what i've read about it that they 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 didn't even really mean for it to come off that way i don't know i i wasn't in on the on the discussion for, uh, like in terms of the past here but i yeah i i don't think maybe they didn't mean for it to come off the way it did but the problem is that it came off that way and that's the kicker and it did a lot of damage um to a character who had been very much on a redemptive arc here you know he was redeemed he was redeemed and and continues to be <laughs> yeah and so it's just like it's like up 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 you know woof, and then now we're coming back up again and it's like so clearly there was a misstep there in the editing process or the narrative process where i really don't think that's how they intended it to come off it's a failure of writing it's a failure of direction it's a fa failure of of production if that's not what they intended it's the Grand uh, combination of all three failures. But we should talk about this episode uh, instead. Because uh, otherwise, I mean, I know myself. I'll just continue down this road. We don't necessarily want that. Uh, the thing that I love about that scene with Jamie and, and, and Tywin is I love how just Jamie, we, Jamie, we're pretending that one scene didn't happen. We like Jamie. Uh, Jamie is a very, he's many things. But he's nowhere near as smart as Tywin or as Tyrion. And as becomes abundantly clear as soon as he's offered the sacrifice of of his honor again for to, to protect somebody, in this case his brother, that's what Tywin was going to do all along. He wasn't going to, because of this whole family honor and everything, he wasn't going to have Tyrion killed. He was going to send Tyrion to the Night's Watch because it takes care of all of his problems. Mm -hmm. And then, then Tywin's like, sweet, I get to have my heir back? Awesome. Yeah, he kind of just was like, yeah, Jamie's like, you know, what if I do this? And Tywin's like, yeah, all right. You know, yeah, done. This, this, seemed, this seemed like a pretty big issue for a while, but all of a sudden he gets what he wants and he's like, sure, yeah, all right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I never read it in, in a way in which I thought he wanted his son to die, despite the fact that, you know, he does have issues with his son. Uh, but yeah, I always read it as he was just using this whole trial to basically get what he wanted with Jamie. And that's exactly what happened. So he's a smart man. Almost, almost, because in the end. Well, yeah, so in the end, it's the Tyrion same. always, always screws up his plans. <laughs> Well, it's the same. It's the same kicker with um, when Cersei, you know, kind of arranged to have Joffrey put in power, but then she couldn't control. Um, you can't. You can't. You know, predict human emotion and human will in those kind of situations. So, and that backfired, and she got like a dog she couldn't control. And then you kind of have the same thing where 
you know, Tyrion goes in and then you introduce Shay and he's just had it and he's dripping venom and he just blows up the whole thing in the last few minutes. And yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Well, do you guys have any thoughts or predictions on, on what's going to come next for this? If, if Bronn was involved in Shay, which we don't know, all we know is that Bronn said that Shay got on the boat and then Shay showed up. So maybe, maybe Bronn is still on team Tyrion and Shay did get on the boat and then something else happened, or maybe Bronn lied to Tyrion. Uh, so do you think Bronn is going to be his, his champion again, or do you think something else is going to happen? Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, when it comes to trial by combat, who decides who's involved in combat? It, will it be Braun? It'll be um, it'll be Tyrion deciding who his champion is, assuming, you know, he can name somebody they can decide, say they're not going to do it. But Tyrion will get to choose a champion, and I believe it'll be Tywin. It's like the state and the defense, so Tywin would be the state. It's uh, it's till the death, right? Like someone has to yeah. die? Hmm. Well, I don't think they're going to kill Tyrion. So, um, again, I haven't read the books, but uh, no, they can't kill Tyrion. There's no way. It's not happening. Okay, so what do you think that – what does that mean for you as far as the fight you think we're going to see or not see? Well, it's either uh, a David versus Goliath type fight where he somehow pulls off a miracle and wins and or a rescue attempt and he somehow escapes. I'm not sure. I'm Wait, I'm confused. Oh, Tyrion doesn't – he, I guess Tyrion could choose himself. He he chooses the champion. Oh, okay. This is the same as season. It's the same as season one. Well, then. Like in the veil. Okay, so wait a minute. So he chooses someone to fight on his behalf, and if that person loses, they both die? Yeah. Then he dies. Well, like that's. Braun, like, that's how he met Braun in the first season. Like, he chose, he said, someone fight for me, and Braun stepped up. Yeah. And that was. You know, that was the trial by combat. Same, exact same scenario. Okay, but, okay, so I remember that sequence, but that means even if Braun were to betray Tyrion, and let's say he was somehow involved in getting Shay back to King's Landing and have her, like, um, you know, testifying against Tyrion, it wouldn't really make sense for Braun to step in and defend Tyrion if he's betraying him, unless he has to because Tyrion calls him. Like, does he have to? No. Accept- nope. No, it's it's his choice. Well, water bound to a certain extent, but it's his choice. Well, okay. So let me ask you one last question: Can he call Jamie? I, if Jamie would agree to do it, then yeah. If okay. Jamie's willing to do it, yeah, exactly. So that is exactly what I think is going to happen. Uh, he's going to call Braun. Braun's going to say no, and then he's going to have no one left to turn to, and that's when Jamie's going to step in. And that would be interesting because Braun has been giving Jamie lessons on how to uh, use a sword with his left hand. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Okay, now, who's going to fight for Tywin? Who's going to fight for Tywin? Will it be Bronn? Why would it be Bronn? Why would Tywin choose Bronn? Why would Tywin choose Bronn? Hmm, I don't know. (laughs) Mike, thoughts? (laughs) Call me me crazy, but... Yeah. We've got... We've got... This guy, Oberyn Martell, who hasn't done anything really yet, he's obviously a huge character. So I really think he's got to fight on one side or the other. And I think it would be super awesome if one of the judges stands up and says, I'm going to affect this trial. 
And I think, I honestly think he's going to fight for Tyrion. I think he's going to stand up and say, screw you, Tywin. Screw your plans. I'm fighting for Tyrion because he was the only person in that whole trial who was willing to actually look into the facts. And we know he's got a bone to pick with the Lannisters. And what better way than to just burn uh, Tywin like that? Just burn him right in front of everyone. He's going to come in and just say, screw your plans. I'm going to, I'm going to show you in front of everyone that you're not in charge of this kingdom, you know? Okay. Now I'm not familiar with the rules and regulations, but can he actually do it considering that he's like one of the judges? It's, Trial I by don't combat. know. I don't know. That's that's Kate's. That's Kate's. Okay, regardless of whatever. It's, it's, it's trial by combat. Any two people that that agree to it, it's okay. been, like the trial no longer matters. The trial is over. Look, I, I honestly think that it's going to be Jamie or the prince because I mean, yeah, the prince is a new character. They always talk about how he's a great warrior and yeah, they, they gotta do something with this guy. Right, they got four episodes left. They gotta do something with this guy. It could also be Jamie because we have had all of these scenes in which we see Braun and. And Jamie, like, training, and, you know, it only makes sense. It's one of those two two things. But I have no idea who's going to fight for Tywin. So, Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a word battle? <laughs> <laughs> I still wouldn't go with Cersei. Though she, she, she she's second tier. No, she's, she's, she's good. But she's second tier. If it was a skirmish of wits, you, that's when you call in, uh, if you could trust him, which you couldn't, that's when you'd call in uh, Littlefinger. Uh, yep. But uh, you can call him Varys or Littlefinger for that. But um, anyways, this has been very entertaining to listen to. Good points made on all sides. I know the answer, so I'm not gonna have an. I'm not gonna state any opinion here. Uh, but uh, I look forward to what is coming. There's no way I'm wrong. I'm never wrong. Every time I call something, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I've. I'm not going to say anything because I don't. I haven't fact checked. I haven't fact checked uh, Ricky's history, so I can't say one way or the other. I'm so good on calling things, like even to the point where I called, um, I I said exactly who poisoned uh, King Joffrey without reading anything on the internet or whatnot. I was just like, I don't know. We'll see. But even when I watch movies, I'm always like. Hold on. You guessed guessed Littlefinger or you guessed uh, Olena Terrell? I guessed Olena. Okay, yeah, because she definitely was involved. Well, I yeah. guess the Lennon, and after talking about on the, on the episode, I think the next week I kind of said that it's uh, – actually, I said that it's more than just, like, one person involved. Like, I, I referenced the Ten Little Indians, and I figured that there was a few people involved. So, yeah. Anyhow. Anyways, yes, there there's many – there's a lot of really entertaining stuff yet to come. Uh, Ricky said earlier if Episode nine can manage to top this episode, it'll be astonishing. Uh, all I'll say is – there are many things yet to come, and what is coming in episode nine is going to be memorable, but it will be in a very memorable in a very different way. Okay, now, you keep on talking about episode nine. Have you seen the title of episode nine? Yes, I have. Oh, okay, okay. That explains it. All right. I've seen the title. <laughs> the episode titles for the next several episodes are delightful. Not so much this next one. I don't really know what that means, but... Uh, actually, I do, and it's going to be cool. But uh, the the next several episodes will all have some really great stuff, and um, yeah, it'll it'll just be very different. I don't think you should expect a emotional scene quite the same as what we get here with Tyrion. So I would say temper expectations that way. But 
Mm-hmm. Episode nines are significant on Game of Thrones, and that will continue to be the case this season as well. You know, the last thing I'll say about this episode is the only thing I would have uh, would have liked is if they had actually removed the Theon Greyjoy slash Reek uh, scenes and just put it in a different episode. Because this episode, I think, would have just been great if we had just focused on the Iron Bank and then also focused on the trial and then also focused on Danny and her scenes. Because all of those scenes kind of like revolved around politics and money and, you know, just laws and, and I don't know. And they all like were focused in like one room. I thought that would have been an interesting central theme for the whole entire episode. And I just felt that although I kind of liked the opening there with Theon Greyjoy and and the attempted rescue, and I thought it was beautifully directed and the pacing once again, and the, the, um, the score, especially, I just felt it didn't belong in this episode. I, I would sorry. I would I would imagine that um, that comes. I think from a writing standpoint, probably where they were like, you know, there's not really any action in this episode. So a, let's get some action in here with this scene, and then b, how far can they go into the season before they have to deal with this thing that they set up at the end of the previous season? Oh, they've set this up, and there's been zero follow through since they set it up. So they kind of they're like, okay, we have to get to this, you know. Well, there's also a parallel there with Yara and uh, trying to defend her her damaged, hurt brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Yara-Theon connection is paralleled in the Jamie and and uh, Tyrion connection as well. If, if if you want to, you know, look for more themes. I do think that there are elements of betrayal and uh, defense and, you know, trying to sa- come up with solutions to save. I mean, I think there there are parallels there, though they are very different scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Sorry, not to not to just interject, but um, actually, there is a very interesting parallel there. I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but um, in in a way, Yara was trying to save uh, Theon, but couldn't save him from himself, and that's sort of the same thing that Jamie was willing to do. Jamie's willing to put himself at risk to save Tyrion. And then, you know, Tyrion's like, you can't save Tyrion from Tyrion, and you can't save where Theon's at. You can't save him from himself either. Yep. Yep, interesting point. For different reasons, but yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, any final, other final thoughts on, on this episode? Not to be too macabre about things, but I was actually, when um, Theon was stripping down, I, I, was, I thought maybe they were willing to go there, and I thought maybe they were actually going to show the uh, after effects of that castration. And I thought that would have added, like, for a show that's so brutal, that would have been a new level of brutality to show on camera, to show, you know, here's, we've heard a lot about castration with the eunuchs and with Varys and so on, but to actually see what that would have been like, we know they're not afraid to show the full frontal male nudity, so I thought they were willing to go there, but they didn't go there. It would have been interesting to see, though. I liked it when Tyrion walks into the Great Hall for the trial and someone in the crowd shouts, Kingslayer. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like, who are like, are they talking about Jamie? Are they talking about Tyrion? Like, I laughed. Yeah, I laughed at that moment. It's pretty interesting. I like to think that Jamie and uh, Tyrion will like make a secret handshake. Kingslayer, he misunderstood <laughs> Kingslayer handshake, you know, or something. They can bond over it. They'd be like, oh, guys, sad lions, sad lions handshake. <laughs> Anyways, uh, there's. There was a lot to really appreciate about this episode, a lot of great performances, and um, it was a lot of fun to talk about it with you guys, and I'm going to just keep saying the word a lot, uh, and, yeah. and, uh, and just say that I'm looking, there's a lot that I'm looking forward to. Next week, um, 
and in the weeks to come. It should be an eventful few weeks of podcasting. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find your work online? Uh, on Sound on Sight, of course. And then I have a uh, movie blog called Cinematic Dusk that I used to write a lot for before I started writing for Sound on Sight. But it's still up and it's still kind of running if you're looking for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kicking around anyway. And uh, Twitter? Are you on Twitter? I am not on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And on Google Plus by name alone. <laughs> okay, so are people should people friend you or, or is that creepy? Hey, I'm I'm fine with anyone friending me as long as uh, as long as I have a reason why they're friending me. If they have a mutual friend or if they, <laughs> I might I might ask them why. But mostly is like it's like, are you in a trench coat with a knife? Otherwise, hey, I'm willing to talk to you. Why not? Good times, uh, Ricky. How about you? Uh, I've actually had a, a lot of listeners throughout the past like five years of podcasting add me to Facebook, and I've never had a neg negative experience. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, too. But uh, Twitter, uh, Sound on Site, Tumblr, you name it. Basically, everything's at soundonsite.org. And uh, you can always check out our movie podcast, especially the Sorted Cinema podcast, in which we review all sorts of genre. Uh, new releases and old releases each and every single week. You can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. The Televerse, of course, is the TV podcast that's not on site. So, of course, we have our Game of Thrones podcast. There's also the weekly Hannibal podcast that I do with Sean Coletti. And then Sean and I also have The Televerse, where we talk about everything else. There are so many other great shows on TV right now. Uh, so that goes out every week on Tuesdays. You can listen to that at Sound on Site or in, in iTunes. And, and at Sound on Site, I'm reviewing, uh, finishing up Grimm and Orphan Black as well right now. Uh, I'm, I'm trading off with Randy Dankovich, one another of our reviewers. We're covering Louie. Uh, there's a lot of great TV coverage over at Sound on Site. You can also find uh, some of my work at the AV Club, but mostly just drop me a line on Twitter because I love to talk about this stuff. And uh, if you've read the books and would like to share in my enjoyment of what i'm anticipating coming ahead for the show Dr you know drop my drop me a non-spoilery uh uh tweet on, on on twitter and we can talk about it uh but again thank you mike thank you so much for coming on thank you everyone for listening next week we'll be covering episode seven of season four which is mockingbird written by david benioff and db weiss directed again by alex sakharov uh we'll be back next week with another episode of the sound on site game of thrones podcast this is the payment that was demanded by King Stannis for my crimes. I consider it an honest accounting. He's an honest man, and he's your best chance to get back the money you've sunk into Westeros. Which is a lot, I imagine. Wars are expensive. The war is over. As long as Stannis lives, the war is not over. Who's the real power in King's Landing? Sir Davos. Humor me. Tywin Lannister. How old is Tywin Lannister? Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven, and when he dies, who's in command? A half-grown boy, a product of incest. Cersei Lannister, a queen whose people despise her. Jaime Lannister, a man best known for killing the king he was sworn to protect. When Tywin's gone, who do you back? That is a problem for another time. Begging your pardon, I think it's a problem for now. There's only one reliable leader left in Westeros. Stannis. He's got the birthright. He's in his prime. He's a tried and tested battle commander, and he doesn't just talk about paying people back, he does it.